And now, The Ropes. Let's go, champ! Let's go, champ! Welcome to The Ropes. I am Rafe Bartholomew. I'm joined by ESPN's Brian Campbell. Brian, what you eat, I eat. Where you go, I go. Absolutely, Shannon Briggs. The Cannon Briggs. Where you go, I go. This is... uh, it's Klitschko Fight Week, and we're going to have to listen to a lot of Shannon Briggs. Let's do this. Yeah, we are, we're going to be talking a little bit of Shannon Briggs, a little bit of Vladimir Klitschko versus Brian Jennings later on. Uh, we got a great interview with Steve Smoger, the sort of renowned referee, uh, about uh, Mayweather Pacquiao and his career and how, how a referee would approach that fight. And, uh, but first, we're going to talk a little bit about May 2nd, and then we're going to really try and dig into what was, I think, the best weekend of boxing so far in 2015 this past weekend uh but first brian i mean what's going on with the tickets we they the tickets for mayweather pacquiao on may 2nd just went for sale i think today wednesday afternoon 10 days before the fight good news here folks uh as we're recording this 10 days away to mayweather pacquiao the biggest fight in 40 years the fight of the century and only 11 days away from the tickets being printed and from leo santa cruz getting an opponent for the undercard um yeah today was uh after two days of of things being up in the air tickets not even sold 74 million dollars of tickets rafe to be sold and they had tickets hadn't been printed because of really um a lack of signature on a deal from from Pacquiao promoter Bob Arum of Top Rank. So, some infighting between Arum and Heyman. But today, it finally got itself put away. Our own Dan Raphael uh, reported that uh, Les Moonfest of CBS <laughs> was once again called in from the bullpen to intervene and to say, Hey, guys, we have a, a fight here that's going to make every person involved from the fighters to the promoters to the hotels to the guys making hot dogs on the side of the road the most money they're ever going to make can you guys kind of get your stuff together here i mean rafe this is like worse than you know the worst kind of uh wedding between uh families from both sides of the tracks that you've ever seen and <laughs> and les moonves suddenly had to become basically you know the the rich uncle who's like hey guys you got to get your head together here we if gotta- only <laughs> if only the waiter at his favorite steakhouse had told him a week beforehand things would have been much smoother uh but no- no, I mean this really just seems like another uh, like a uh, easy occasion for Bob Arum to complain about something and, and grab a few headlines and uh, throw Mayweather promotions under the bus a little bit. You know, just just good old Uncle Bob games, right? I, well, you know, Q-Tip once said, "Industry rule number four thousand and eighty: boxing Bob business Arum people shady. are shady." I mean, I think if you want to read between the lines, this kind of came down to to. Whichever side you thought was to blame, either Aram on one side or the Mayweather Promotions, LRB, Heyman on the other side, one of the two essentially thought they were getting more tickets so they could sell to the secondary market because that's where they would make their money mm-hmm. off of this. So it, a lot of people said, what's going on here? And the answer was kind of just down to, to greed and, and you know, uh, you said this in the beginning and it wasn't on the contract. That That's all great, but come on, the fans have waited five and a half, six years for this fight and... We had 48 hours of, oh my gosh, is this really going to fall apart? Is boxing going to do this to the, to us again? Is this really going to happen? Like, are you kidding me? This, I mean, the, the, the wedding parallels couldn't be more real of, of, you know, grandma coming in in the last minute and saying, no, you got to invite 12 people from, from the Johnson family down the road. You know, like, it's just literally like, we got to change everything at the last minute. Make the fight happen. Come on. Well, you know, pardon me if I, I actually was never that, uh, afraid of the fight falling through. Something <laughs> told me that, that they would come together at the 11th hour or a, a, an hour before the 11th hour and make this happen. But man, let's let, we're going to talk a lot about Mayweather and Pacquiao later on with Steve Smoger and, and again next week and, and as much as we'll have it coming out of our ears. Let's talk about last weekend. Uh, just three interesting fights. One a pretty good uh, outstanding fight and and another uh, Chavez Fanfara spectacle uh, but let's start with uh, Matisse Pravodnikov uh, holy holy wow. effing crap man it was just uh, these guys I don't know uh, I don't know who I'm more surprised made it to the end of that. Ruslan Pravodnikov for, for taking the kind of punishment that, that Matisse was doling out that night or Matisse for surviving having to hit Ruslan charging at him 800 times in the head. The, uh, what a what a you know a great action fight. Verona, New York. Matisse comes away by with a majority decision win. But I think the thing that that I was left with above all was like 
what the heck is Provodnikov made of? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm at, I'm starting to assume that you can come in there, you can put him in there with a heavyweight, and he's going to be able to take the shots, never do a dance, never back up, never go down. Reef, this guy, they always say in boxing, if you can see a punch coming in, that is, no matter how hard it hurts, you're going to be okay. As long as, because mm-hmm. it's the punches you don't see, obviously. And you look at some of the most famous knockdowns ever. It's the punches you don't see. Ruslan almost squares up so much and doesn't show <laughs> any sign of defense <laughs> that he's putting himself in a position to always see every punch coming in. And this guy has a will, the kind of will that shortens careers, but the kind of will that makes crazy action fights because but there was going to be a point in that fight, I thought, where Matisse was going to unload everything he had. And, and if Provodnikov didn't go anywhere, then the whole tide was maybe going to turn. And that almost happened because Ruslan hung around and hung around and made for a pretty darn good action fight. No, there were there were moments, and even er, earlier in the fight, right in the fourth or fifth round, when it, it seemed like Matisse started to slow down a little bit, Provodnikov started landing punches, and, and Matisse, you could see him looking sort of to his corner, like, what is happening? And plus the way that after almost every round, Matisse would, he was, it seemed like he was making an effort to close rounds well. You know, he would put a little extra on at the end, you know, and, and then Provodnikov would just take it and walk back at the, after the bell. And, and Matisse would always linger in the middle of the ring, just kind of looking at at, at Provodnikov with this look on his face, like, "What is what is what is up with you? How are you doing this, man?" <laughs> you know, it's funny because these guys are are such warriors and such ridiculous. I mean, it's because exactly what you're saying that Provodnikov is just standing there, taking never looked like he was going to break emotionally or physically. In a way, it almost hampered how good the fight was going to be, Rafe. And I hate to be that guy who might swoop in here and, and spoil what was a great positive and a great night for boxing with a little bit of a silver lining of negativity. But this one had such gaudy ward expectations, such Corrales, Castillo, mm-hmm. such tell your friends. You know, we talked about it last week. I thought it, w- it was going to just evolve into this great action fight. It was a very good action fight, the front runner for fight of the year. But it didn't end up becoming sort of that all-time great fight. And I kind of think it was almost because... These guys have too good a chins where we never saw the things that make all-time great action fights, and that's vulnerability, that's you know dramatic swings of momentum, that's one guy overcoming something and coming back. You almost didn't have that because these warriors were almost too warrior-like. Am I crazy? No, I, they're... Probably the fight was a little too one-sided in, t- in favor of Matisse, at least in terms of the, the dominating the action. I know that it was scored closely, and that there are round th- that you could actually make. You know, people did make decent cases for for it being a draw or a seven-five Matisse win. But in terms of the the the, the rounds that Matisse was dominating, were were ju- he was he felt so far ahead for parts of that fight, and then. All of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, you'd see him run out of a little bit of gas, and then Provodnikov would be right back on top of him. And, you know, if I, I think that if Provodnikov had pulled off an incredible knockout come from behind victory, then, yeah, all of a sudden this does turn into a memorable, all time great sort of fight, something like an Arturo Gatti type performance. Uh, but. You know, as it was, Matisse held on and did enough to win, and 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 you know, credit to him. Not a lot of people would have been able to hold up <laughs> under that kind of pressure. I mean, they, it was really like being in there with a with a you know with a movie with a with a with a movie with a horror movie thing coming after you. Like no matter what you do, it just keeps coming. But there is a price to pay for being in these kind of fights, unfortunately, Rafe. And in, you know how much we love the boxing Instagram. We know that oh, it's God. almost like a an entertainment a platform to itself. It's a religion. Uh, Ruslan put something out there that was, eh, you want to get into that? Yeah, well, he put to, he put out a picture of himself after the fight with a cup of, well, not, standing in front of a cup of what could have been coffee or Coca-Cola or, you <laughs> tar? know, tar? Yeah, or, yeah. or uh, if, you, if you happen to dip tobacco, you know, that, that runoff that people spit into cups. Instead, he, he wrote that it was his urine, which presumably had been sort of colored by blood Yow. and kidney shots. Oh, what a, I mean, it Bile, shows the punishment yeah. that, that, that he goes through. But then the craziest thing about that was he, he, he must have seen, noticed the alarmed reaction on social media of people being like, oh, my God, like, are you OK, man? Uh, and so he posted an, a picture of his face smiling, you know, beat up, but in great spirits, driving back to New York City from Verona after the fight with the maybe the most uh, pleasant, uh, pleasant caption you'll ever read about uh, bloody urine. He said, I am good, everybody. Cut! I got my cut sewn on my way to New York and will fly home today to see my family. Do not worry about the dark urine. Everything is good. I got fully checked up, and there is no problems. It's just when these fights are this tough, my body excretes urine in this dark color. 
Cyrillic, 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 Cyrillic. Uh, so, you know. I love uh, your SNL full commercial you know, voice. Ruslan Provodnikov is, is a character who the people, the fans who get to witness his run, however long it lasts, are going to well, never forget. Speaking of last, it's going to last longer because I think the, the best thing about this fight was that both guys came out looking good from it. Both guys were elevated from both of their performances. You know, like Ruslan told me last week he might retire if he loses. He's not retiring. You know, he's going to come back. So the obvious thing is to put on, you know, to say, what's next and i'm pretty excited about the fact that for boxing the fact that matisse won because this is kind of like an underreported or talked about wild card that you know matisse who was with al Heyman, still technically is was one of the rare guys who just stood up and said you know i don't want to be with al Heyman anymore i want to go back to the way it was Mm -hmm. and he just crossed the street and now suddenly he's a player in this golden boy slash hbo slash top rank triumvirate where suddenly he's got options. And for boxing fans, if you were going to pick one guy from the Heyman side of the street over the last year to make the leap over, I might have picked Matisse because could we be looking at him against the likes of Terrence Crawford, Tim Bradley, Juan Manuel Marquez, Manny Pacquiao, Brandon Rios, you know, even like a Saddam Ali? Could we be looking at him, his next three, four fights against any of those guys? Sign me up, Rave. Sign me up. Although, you know, Brian, the grass is always greener. You know, now that he's here, I'm, I, it's my duty to start complaining that I won't be able to see him against Keith Thurman if he went up to wel- yeah. welterweight. Sean Porter, uh, the great Andre Berto, you know, he could knock the crab right out of his hand. Maybe this just gives me the chance of getting something that I thought I couldn't have. And you, you know, and that always kind of, kind of, you know. No, you, I mean, the, when you come down to it, the the best fighters, except for Floyd Mayweather, at uh, 147 pounds or 100, 140 is a little bit up in the air. You can make an argument anyway. But a lot, there's an elite group at, in those weight weight classes between Golden Boy and Top Rank. And Matisse, it's going to be great to see what he can do in there. Absolutely. And for Provodnikov, I know Rios wants to fight him. Let's give him a, a, a little break. He can fight Jose Luis Castillo in Russia about five more times. <laughs> to give give him in the urine sample a break and I'd be fine with that but Rafe moving on we had another sort of landmark fight that had its own drama and storylines it was our boy Andy Andrew Andre Fanfira uh, he stopped knocked down and stopped Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. who quit on a stool after nine rounds in a finish that I just did not see coming not just for the outcome but for the manner in which it happened holy crap how do you even digest this. Yeah, holy crap part deux. We got to start with the Joe Goosen outfit because oh. that's, I mean, that's that we've already outed ourselves as, as fans of Goosen fashion. Uh, what'd you think? To, I mean, he was he was styling uh, Dude. You tell me. He threw us a curveball, which yeah. is fantastic. Coming out in the full body white leather looking, <laughs> you know, jumpsuit with the Chavez logo on the back and the and the striping on the side. It, it, I tweeted out it looked like an old Graham Parsons, what they called nudie suits in the 70s. The uh, those full body, almost you know, Elvis Presley type Vegas suits that you see, it was tremendous. It was the the highlight of the night for me, you know, in, until we saw Chavez kind of go down, and that was yeah. you either really enjoyed seeing Chavez go down or or it was tough to see. But man, Joe rolling the dice, and maybe it didn't work out for him in the ring, but you know, thumbs up on this end. You know, I'll say one thing uh, that, that that I wasn't crazy about. I like to see Joe Goosen just doing his own thing, right? I mean, that's what he that's what he told us last week yeah. during our interview. He like you know he did it to express himself. He's there. He's not getting paid to wear someone. You know, I guess he is getting paid by Chavez, but you know what? I just I I want I want to see conform? unadulterated goosing out there. I don't Do want to think see... he conformed to the system. Yeah, I don't think he wanted little like ribbons tied around his biceps. Oh, like, dude, he had the Ultimate Warrior thing going yeah. on. How awesome was that? It's true. Anyway, so the uh, the, the the second probably even crazier thing to, to watch in that fight was that beautiful knockdown in the ninth round. Uh, the left hook that that. Uh, Andy Fanfara. Now we can't say his name anyway correctly. Andy Fanfara uh, just clipped Chavez with that with that left hook while he was stepping back, and that way that he sort of it was one of those classic slow motion, real speed Perfect. knockdowns. You know, two steps backwards and then timber. Yeah, and in, in it, in it produced a result of two completely different directions for either fighter. It, it, it elevated Fanfara incredibly because Rafe like. You know, he's a guy that's been all right. You know, he pushed Adonis Stevenson to the limit. He'd been an FNF type type guy for a while. He'd beaten some quality names, but he wasn't a guy that really moved you, I don't think, in the ring or even in his personality or persona. He was kind of like that metalhead kid in high school who you're like, yeah, yeah, that guy's all right. I know his name, you know. But this was sort of the breakout performance where that metalhead kid suddenly signs up for a football team and scores a winning touchdown and and then bags, you know, the the, the, the lead cheerleader afterwards. He went from, from kind of, not a dud, but kind of an average. Due to a stud, 
in, in what was really an impressive performance, he just kept ca- catching Chavez coming in, used his size well, put him away, and then that post-fight air- interview was absolutely fantastic with the, the, the pronunciations of words, with the, the, the constant uh, mouth-kissing to the members of his corner. It was just, it was a star-making interview. It was, it was great. He had some character. It was cool to see. He's like, oh, I, you know, he understood that he would, I, would, I didn't feel his power, you know, it was a nice, <laughs> it, it, was, it was a good look for, for Fanfara. But what, what, that, what do you think happened to Chavez in there? I mean, yeah, he, that's he, the other side. He hasn't always looked great in his career, but, you know, he actually, I recall him last year, looking fairly sharp against what, whatever was left of Brian Vera. And, this was and we've seen him case. box better. This was just him, like, plodding forward, not even, try, often not even throwing, moving his hands or throwing punches and just his, letting, letting a guy tee off on him. Yeah, he lost his heart early, Rafe. So he got, Fanfara made a statement in round one and used his size, and you, mm-hmm. everyone knew right away, and Chavez knew it too, this guy was too big, you should have listened to your dad, you shouldn't have taken this fight. The second round, I give Chavez credit, instead of coming back, uh, he came back sort of loading up one shot at a time, and he had his moments, he went to the body, but his heart sort of fell apart in that third round when he realized he wasn't going to be able to sustain that. Riff, he had no defense. He landed nine jabs in God. nine rounds. It was like he just put his face down, didn't even cover up, and just got tattooed. This was the worst-case scenario because he quit on the stool. He also got stopped and dropped for the first time in his kind of career, which you know cancels him having the best chin in the business. You know, Provodkov right. takes that belt from him. And then worse than that was that horrific post-fight interview that just showed him as almost like delusional, Rafe, where right. you know, he not only only says that I was winning the fight when they stopped it. He's like, I, I want a rematch. I, I want to fight him at, at 170. 170. This guy's uh-huh. making up weight classes. It's almost like you know when you're a kid and you and, and you lose at a video game and you're like, I'm not leaving until I win. You know, it's like yeah. I'll, I'll fight you at 169. Then you know, I'll be the lineal <laughs> champion there too. It's like, oh man, it was it, that was sad to see because he's a character that we like in that regard. Yeah, you know, I think we both have some sympathy or, or, or don't judge too harshly what fighters say uh, in their post-fight uh, interviews, just because they've just been taking punches and he took a lot of punishment in that fight was coming straight off being knocked down and was still hurt you could see when he went you know at the end of that round uh so it's not i i don't i i'm not going to judge him too harshly for for whatever goofy things he said to jim gray in that interview obviously people always judge a fighter who says enough i'm not uh, i'm not i mean i'm not going back out there and and doesn't you know finish a fight either on his back or on his feet uh that may not be fair but i, I mean is you know people were showering the ring in, in with, with with bottles and stuff mm. or, or the the broadcast team was getting hit does the does the the hate a fighter gets for 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 quitting in a fight does that go overboard and and do you think it'll be too much in chavez's case it does go overboard and in this case in reality it became obvious that he wasn't going to win that he was his power wasn't there at this weight class and that he didn't have the heart in the moment to sort of find new ways to win so i actually applauded that that he and also Goosen, you know, sort of hearing his plea to stop the fight. He said his in- leg was injured, which was a farce. I think but- as soon as Goosen heard him t- talk about, you know, make up stuff about the yeah, leg, he was just like, okay, it, no. That, that's it. So in that regard, I applaud him. But look, you know, this is the Mexican culture where, you know, Machismo. going the distance in defeat means a lot. Sometimes right. that's a victory. And, you know, so you remember is- uh, Antonio Margarito when he was getting beat up by Manny Pacquiao and, and Robert Garcia. And in the interview, they asked him, how would you let this fight go on? He's like, well, he, you know... And Tony and is a Margarito is a, is a Mexican fighter. He's a, he believes he's a Mexican warrior, and and that's you know he wanted to finish, and I have to respect that. And and you know Chavez is always but he's a trash talking type of guy. You know he posts a million pictures on on Instagram. He's a, he's that guy who's in your face. So you almost to see this happen to him. I think fans did turn on him. I think it's it's gonna it's a it's a huge black eye no pun intended, that's going to be hard for him to recover. And not even to mention what it exposed, Rafe, and is the fact that if this guy doesn't have that 25-pound weight advantage after he rehydrates, who is he? Is he just an average fighter? I mean, like you said, we've seen him box better. I saw him box a lot better in the Freddie Roach years, but it seemed like everything, this wasn't about being in shape. This was about just being over his head and weight, and mentally he fell apart once it got hard. Is there anything? Where does his career go from here? What? How? Let's let's you know. Pretend you're PBC or Showtime's matchmaker. You're you're Al Heyman. You just literally bought this guy from top rank, which had been producing for for several million dollars. Uh, how do you how do you capitalize on that investment now? The balloon just popped. 
Well, first of all, we knew that the Bob Arum was going to make, who was going to be, give me smoke. And he had a good interview to boxing scene to Steve Kim, where he sort of, you know, a lot of F-bombs and sort of saying for all the years they built up Chavez with smart matchmaking. He, he says Heyman, you know, lost that in one night with this fight. And, and obviously this was more junior saying going out of his way to take an unnecessarily hard fight, which mm-hmm. absolutely hurt him, you know, and his dad was against it. It's almost like this is what happens when a fighter gets too much power. You know, like everybody wants to be Mayweather and start your own promotional company and be your own guy. And in this case, this completely backfired, despite whatever kind of money Chavez made for this. It, it was just, you know, not the right direction. Now, what do you do? Are you going to go the route of uh, of completely cashing him in and completely saying, let's make a Frotch fight, let's make a Hopkins fight? Hey, Those let's fights make a, sound ridiculous after let's a make fight. A yeah, you, have fight. To, you have to give him a you have to give him someone he can look decent against before well, you go like go fight fight Carl Frotch or go go fight Golovkin. Well, how much heart does he have left? Do you, do you have an opportunity to rebuild him at sixty eight, where you put him in with the, a lot of blown up Brian Vera type middleweights, where he's going to have that huge advantage again, and then work him back up to a big pay per view? It's tough. What do you do now? This is such a not a tar- it doesn't tarnish him, but this is a very damaging to your reputation. Sure, I, I think that's what we're going to be seeing on uh, PBC on Spike for many years now. Uh, uh. Look, man, uh, there was one other interesting fight, uh, 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 another sort of level of coming out performance uh, by Terrence Crawford, who knocked out Thomas DeLorme in his first fight at uh, 140 pounds, junior welterweight, six round TKO. Uh, You know, you you were you were you were caught up in the in the the just enthusiasm, the the outpouring of love for 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 Terrence Crawford over this uh, knockout. Absolutely, I, I couldn't. I'm, I'm not just drinking the juice. I'm bathing in, in, in it. I'm doing that same dive that Rodney Dangerfield did in in, uh, <laughs> in, in, in Back to School. Uh, the triple Lundy right into the bath of the Crawford juice here. Rafe, I was so high in him coming in. I knew moving up to 140, he was going to be able to use the speed and the quickness to have advantages as a guy who maybe boxes boringly from the outside because mm-hmm. I didn't think the power would carry. And this was the kind of fight that to me suddenly it just keeps pushing that boundary further, I mean, of who this guy might be. Because five rounds of nothing, of yeah. just feeling out his opponent, of just sort of not even fighting at top speed or with top power. But when he stepped on the gas, he just took apart DeLorme. And you can go the angle with DeLorme having the weak chin or go, you know, with him not being a 12-round fighter, which I don't, I wasn't really that high in DeLorme as we talked about last week. But the ease in which he took him out, knocked him down three times and just destroyed him, I didn't expect this. He might be even more special than I thought, and I'm already a, a big guy on Crawford's bandwagon. You just heard, you know, you heard someone in his ear being like, you know, Terrence, you know, come out the cage this round. It's time. <laughs> I'm going to let you out the cage. Get him. You know, I'm going to put him to sleep. Um, no, you know, it was a, it was a, I think it was a risky game plan, and, and, and credit to Crawford for pulling it off to, to really have the confidence to, one, sort of start almost intentionally slow and said you know that he was setting up that that uh, lead left hook that he ended up using to hurt you know first stun and then hurt Delorme with the straight right that followed it up you know he said he set that up by just jabbing straight for for the first four or five rounds and and credit to him for pulling that off that's a you know I, that's a risky game plan right because what if what if Delorme yeah. takes it what if you know he tries that in another fight and a guy does just just, just gets hit by the left hook and it's like all right well you got me one now you got to fight the rest of the you know you still got seven rounds to go well, we had seen um, go down four rounds against Gamboa in their fight, but mm-hmm. I, I like that we're seeing in both of these fights. When I don't think he was down in, in the in this Delorme fight for the same reasons, I thought he was just sort of biding his time. But each yeah. time it showed his intelligence, Rafe. So when you have the speed and the boxing and the slickness, now you've got more power than people think you do, and you're showing your intelligence. We're not seeing a lot of guys like this. We're not seeing a lot of, you know, this is this guy might be pretty special. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, count me among, this may not be fair because it's like grading on the sliding scale, but count me among the people who think that Thomas DeLorme might have a case of a mere con chin, like, you know, one, yeah. one clean shot and his legs go to jelly. Uh, you know, uh, that's, I remember that was a bit how the, the Abregu fight when he got knocked out against him at welterweight was, and uh, that's, he looked a lot the same when he, got, when he took that shot against Crawford. But we didn't know that Crawford could do that at this weight, and at least he managed to do that. You know, what's, the people are talking about possibly getting the Lucas Matisse, because since he won on the same card, uh, how, you know, do you, would you like to see a fight like that next? What, what, what comes next? next for Terrence Crawford. Yeah, I think that's a, a fight you would really like to make. You know, it's a good clash of styles, of course. I'd be totally down with that fight. I've always wanted to see him fight Mikey, Mikey Garcia, who wants mm-hmm. to make a comeback at Junior Walter. I'd love to see that, obviously, as well. The potential for him long-term to eventually keep moving up. He's got that thin frame to keep right. adding muscle and moving up and fighting the, the Bradleys and Pacquiao's in, in a year or two. Still, to me, is exciting. 
yeah, keep going. Go Matisse next. Keep matching up because top rank is, we know the great matchmakers. We know that when, you know, once Chavez lost that veil of the top rank matchmaking system, he was exposed. But at the same time, I think Crawford's proving himself to, to be worthy of it. Well, is that and, too big of a, a leap in class for, would, would you, wouldn't, wouldn't, don't you think top rank might want some sort of middle step between the guys who, who Terrence Crawford has been beating and, and Matisse, who, you know, I think, you know, just by the eye test, by looking at Crawford, I think he, you, you'd say that he has a good chance of outboxing Matisse. But at the sure. same time, Matisse has, has become more aggressive. He doesn't start as slow as he used to when he lost to boxer types like, like Zab Judah and, and Devin Alexander. And those were close fights that a lot of people thought he won. And, uh, you know, he's more active. He, he, he mixes up his punches more. He's, and he's, he, he punches, you know, despite, you know, Ruslan Provodnikov going the distance, he can, he can hurt people. Yeah, I, I'm all for, if you needed to give him an, an interim there, he just picked up a vacant belt, you know, build, build him a little bit slower. Maybe I'm a little bit too quick and throw him in Pacquiao. But I think it, it tells me one thing. He's like this unlikely potential American star that we just don't see these days. Like, you look at the top 10 of the ESPN's pound for pound list, there's only two guys there, you know, born in the United States. And, and one of them sort of an anomaly in Mayweather, you know, the son of a pro fighter mm-hmm. that he's got a couple uncles that are pro fighters. We don't see a lot of American born athletes these days avoid the team sport route and end up getting into boxing i think crawford's almost becoming like a rare dude right now i see what you're saying i mean you know with the with the the frame that he has and he's not you know he's a welterweight junior welterweight started as a lightweight fighter 135 pound guys who are 5 8 what sport do they belong in besides boxing uh you know it is it, it the part of his backstory that that is really fascinating to me is like how do you develop into that elite of a of a boxing technician in a place like omaha nebraska which doesn't have besides our boy ron stander shadow boxing on the sidelines doesn't isn't known for having a boxing culture it's not like you can see it coming from a place like philadelphia or these the fight these fighters who come out of detroit you know they're they're places with with famous gyms where do you learn to 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 fight like that like like such a uh, to to borrow a phrase from from previous guest uh chris algeria fight like a master boxer well, it, we see American-born fighters have success. We see very few become elite and have that base mm-hmm. that you're talking about. And I just always have a theory that it's like, unless you're born into a boxing family, your dad's a trainer, your dad's an ex-fighter, like a Mayweather, or unless you almost come from a certain level of poverty where it seems like you're always fighting, you know, in survival mode, fighting back. And I know, you know, Crawford did sort of come from a rough background in that regard, but it's kind of hard to have that drive and that hunger to be that good of a fighter to match with those years in the amateur system, technically and all that Crawford's kind of rare it's you know and Omaha's an even more rare place for a guy like this to come out of but it's happening and it's fun to watch well, look, I, I, Crawford. I think uh, I, I, it's. I think it's clear that his boxing skills are elite. I think the power is still questionable for now, and and it'll sort of get proven out over over the next couple of years. Uh, you know, I, I think it might be time to uh, to dial up the one and only Mister Double S, Steve Smoger. You ready for this? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay, it is our great pleasure this week to have Steve Smoger on the phone with us. Uh, Smoger is almost, you know, needs no introduction, but he's one of the top referees in boxing, has been so for, for many years now, uh, and has, you know, refed uh, iconic fights, uh, you know, Kelly Pavlik, Jermaine Taylor won, uh, and a whole slew of other uh, East Coast fights that are really memorable. Uh, he's going to talk to us about his career and sort of help us get into the mind of a referee uh, for a big fight like uh, Mayweather Pacquiao next week. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, guys. Uh, thanks for the very nice introduction. It's a pleasure to be with you and Brian. Well, Steve, let's get right to this. You're a world-renowned referee, double S in the house. You're a yeah. rule. <laughs> A rules interpreter on the PBC on NBC broadcast, which we've enjoyed. But most importantly, Steve, we'll start off by congratulating you. This June, you'll be inducted to the International Boxing Hall of Fame. What does this type of honor mean to you? You know, it's really a a tremendous honor um, to be thought of in those terms and be in the company of guys uh, and girls that that I've really respected over the years. you never really think about it. I'm in my 32nd year, and wow. it's been a wonderful ride. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it just really, really wonderful. Very, very humbling to go in there. I've been up to the hall. I've seen what the induction ceremony was like. And, you know, you think about it, but you say, look, I'm active. 
Uh, I want to keep going, and um, I'm still active, and I thought that that would be in some way prohibit because uh, prohibit me from getting in at this time because my recent predecessors, who I admired greatly, Joe Cortez, Richard Steele, uh, Mills Lane, all retired with, within the time frame of their induction. And apparently that's not a precluding factor, but it's, it's a tremendous honor. It's, it's the Nobel Peace Prize, an Oscar, and an Emmy <laughs> rolled up in box for a boxing guy. Well, Steve, I hope they induct your mustache comb and your purple latex gloves <laughs> along with you, because they are both very iconic. Well, I appreciate that. It shows that you pay attention to detail, Brian. Absolutely. That's my job. Well, Steve, let's get into a little detail about what is the fight of this century, of this generation. Mayweather Pacquiao, you have the unique perspective of being a top referee. We, so what does it mean for a referee to get a call for this level of fight? What kind of nerves, pressures come with, with that sort of opportunity, but, but that burden at the same time? From my perspective, uh, you know, fear is a great motivator. You get the assignment, you're immediately elated, and and then you really get down to the business of what you have to do. And you try to remain calm. Guys, quite frankly, I find this a little bit um, different of giving notice so far in advance. Uh, referees get notice this far in advance, but it's not made public. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little surprised that, uh, you know, Kenny is... Kenny's announced, Kenny's in, the judges are in, but uh, a full almost two weeks ahead of the event, um, I found that to be, that's never happened to me. I've been notified early, but never publicized that early. Maybe a day beforehand or at the weigh-in, something of that nature. But this is the epitome, from my understanding and from my own memory, this will be the highest payment for a referee and and the judges in the history of our sport. I think Mills at one time had a fifteen thousand dollar fee for a Tyson for a Tyson fight. Uh, East Coast funding is not that uh, you know has never reached that in my to my understanding in speaking with brother referees has never reached that that height. So that in and of itself. I'm sure is added pressure, but uh, Kenny's an outstanding referee, and I'm sure he'll be ready to go. Uh, we've discussed pre-fight uh, uh, preparation, and it's just keeping yourself calm, cool, and collected. Each Kenny, I'm sure, listen, he's been in with both Pacquiao and Mayweather, mm -hmm. so he's had the benefit of working with them, so I'm sure he'll be fine. It's just, in my case, it was, you really want to do your best. Um, Louis Pabon, the chief of officials of the WBA, once said at a seminar, a referee cannot afford an off night. There are no excuses in our, in our game or in our craft. You can't say, I had an off night, I blew it. There's too much at stake. First, sure. it's the health safety and welfare of the fighter, mm -hmm. and then it's their career. So there's no off night. You've got to be on. So and that's the focus I have, whether it be a 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. That, that's the focus you bring that I bring to the fight. Right. So, Steve, like you mentioned, Kenny Bayless, uh, the, another renowned referee, was was named the referee for this fight earlier this week. Uh, and, and it seems like you think that, that it's it's uncommon for it to be named publicly so far in advance. Do you think that would at all affect his preparation for for how he's going to work on, on May 2nd in the ring? Not at all. Not at all. I just wanted to point out that, you know, I have never been. I have never seen that, but I guess because of the magnitude of this fight, uh, possibly it would have leaked. So they made it public. Uh, Kenny is a perfectionist. He's a fantastic referee. Uh, I think he is the present company included, <laughs> excluded. I'd love to be the third man there, but if not me, let it be Kenny. And 
I think his temperament and his unobtrusive style will bode well. You've got to let these, at this level, guys, and you both know that because you gentlemen are both experts in your field, you know that they know what they're doing. So you're there to see that the rules are, you know, enforced, but, you know, there can't be any over-officiating. You've got to let the fighters fight. Minor, what you may conceive to minor, a minor infraction, let, let the fight flow. Do not interrupt the flow of this contest. That would be, you know, if Kenny said, Steve, what's your input? That's my in- input. Let them fight. They really can conduct themselves, and there may be just very little officiating. Um, you've got to be there for the, the unexpected. Mm-hmm. But when you're on that level, these fighters will fight their fight they know exactly what they're doing. Every moment they have has been scripted in their particular minds, and it's a part of their preparation. Right. And do you, like, what kind of challenges uh, do you think that this particular matchup could, could present for, for a referee? Or not necessarily challenges, but what, you know, unique elements about the styles of the fighters might, might uh, you know, make this an interesting fight to referee or uh, might come up uh, during the course of the fight for a referee? Well, uh, first of all, you've got to be careful with Manny's uh, coming in and Manny's style that there is an unintentional stepping on each other's feet. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be very well alerted that if someone goes down, it's it's been precipitated by a punch and not a slip. You know, you've got to be really on your game. I would call it the open door, the open window. You've got to position yourself to see the frame of each fighter, you know, each second of the three minutes. There's no time off. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you guys from my own experience, I've been in, the fight is flowing good. I said, geez, let me relax. I'll work a little outside. Something happens. Something happens. Mm -hmm. So there's no time off, guys. And in this particular instance, you know, Manny rushing in, possibly Floyd with the famous shoulder roll. You know, I, you don't want to, you want to allow him to implement his tactic, but, you know, is that a push off? Mm-hmm. You know, things of that nature. And then verbal warning. Uh, I would be reluctant to go in between these guys. I don't want to break the flow of the fight in any way whatsoever. That would be my, my take on it. Well, Steve, throughout your career, you have been known as a guy who doesn't do that. You've been known as a fan's referee, a guy who lets them fight. It's this simple. When an action fight is put on paper, the first thing fans want to want to say is, is Double S going to be refereeing that fight? I mean, that's just something that sort of comes up. How do you feel about getting that reputation? I, I'm fine with it because, listen, I want the fighters to decide their fight. I do everything in my power to allow them to decide that. And I think they know that. Uh, the, 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 the more famous the fighter, the more skilled the fighter, uh, verbal commands, uh, the least touching as possible. Uh, and I think the fans know that. And to me, guys, it's like the beer commercial. The art of refereeing is when to say when. <laughs> Ron, Ron Scott Stevens, the former commissioner of New York, stated it very, very well in one of our seminars. Health, safety, and welfare is primary, but you've got to balance that with the drama of the fight. You don't want to take the fight out of the fight, so you've got to be able to The art of refereeing is to know when you have to go in. I try to impart to young referees, if one fighter is offensively shoe-shining, you've heard that term, mm-hmm. is, the, is the receiving fighter catching it, arms, shoulders, this, that. Don't be fooled. So uh, I think the reputation comes from allowing a fighter, number one, to try to decide the issue and, and being very, very fortunate to have done my homework and allow Kelly Pavlik, Mm-hmm. who was one whisker away <laughs> from defeat to get up and allow him to try to recover. I said, you've got one shot, and Jermaine was on, 
and Kelly just rose and was able to recover enough as round two proceeded and take over. Uh, just allow them to come back. Tony Weeks and Corrales Castillo. Sure. Mm-hmm. Seeing, allowing, that's, listen, that's the fine line, guys. Uh, a lot of referees will say, well, geez, the safety comes in, but if you overdo, we, we wouldn't have any classics. Very true. Well, Steve, that, that Taylor Pavlik <laughs> one fight from 2007 that you mentioned, a lot of ways you made your name off of that. You got an identity from that. Are you able to to process in the moment how good a fight is? When Taylor Pavlik one ended, are you able to tell yourself in that moment, I just saw something special? Yes, you absolutely can. When he started to come back, I said, you know, I'm a fan in the ring. Oh, my God. He's recovering, mm-hmm. you know. Kelly told me, guys, <clears throat> after the fight, I saw him exiting the hall. He said, Steve, I heard you. I heard Jack Lowe. I, I heard the majority of the 10,000 fans in Atlantic City Convention Hall. He said, but the first time in my career, I couldn't feel my legs. Wow. wow. He got hit with an equilibrium shot. Mm-hmm. And those a la Jay Nady and uh, my friend Jay Nady and Zab Judah, <laughs> you know, quick, quick effect, but quick recovery. Right. Let him flounder a bit and see if he gets up. You know, you have that 10 seconds, so utilize it. But I never exactly. tried to pull the plug too quickly. I know safety is uh, the main concern, but guys, when I see these guys in the gym, and when I'm like you, when I'm out of the ring, I'm the biggest fan. Mm-hmm. They train so hard. If you would say to me, Brian Campbell, who I admire greatly, says, Steve, what have you observed? What's the most outstanding aspect that you observed in the ring? It's the ability of a fighter after being clocked. How does he get up in a 10 count? How does the human being recover enough sense to become upright after they've fallen like a tree. Mm-hmm. That still amazes me today. Now, whether they can continue or not, that's in my judgment. Some continue, some manage to artfully hold to get through the round mm-hmm. and recover. Uh, some don't. Some, it's called the signature shot. I had that with um, Lamont Peterson and uh, Luca Matisse. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Luca dropped him. Lamont got up. I said, can this kid recover? And I stay on him like glue. And he didn't. Then there was a signature shot. He got up. But then he was in danger, and you stop it. Right. But some can recover. So, you know, that that's the art of the game, guys, the art of the craft. Absolutely. Now, Steve, I wanted to ask about... You know this sort of new internet era of uh, boxing fandom, where where referees, because you're in the ring with the fighters, and a lot draw get attention in ways that maybe uh, you hadn't in the past in YouTube videos and other forms of in social media, uh, and and you just start to develop fans and reputations, all even like like you know almost like you're part of the show uh, in a way that I know some referees don't want to be. Is it can can that get to a referee's head, and how do you sort of uh, guard against letting your reputation uh, change the way you you uh, work a fight? Well, excellent question. And guys, everything is in stages. Mm-hmm. When you begin, you want to be noticed for all the right reasons. In 1988, in my fifth or sixth, sixth year of refereeing, I did Simon Brown, Simon Brown, Tyrone Trice. It was the CBS and IBF Fight of the Year, right on the shores where the Allies came on in Barrett, France. And it was incredible, incredible scene. And may he rest in peace. Gil Clancy says, this kid, this young referee did an outstanding job. It's somebody we must keep an eye on. That was my coming out party at that era. So you want that. But guys, it's funny you mentioned that. Excellent question. As you mature and your referee and your refereeing reputation builds, you don't want any no, you don't want any notoriety at all. Joe Cartes and I spoke about that. 
I had a few conversations with um, with Mills about that. Once you're there and you've reached that echelon, and and you, and you're seen by your peers and gentlemen like yourself, you don't want the notoriety. You want the assignment. Mm. You want to get your assignment. You want to get in and get out. And you guys have pinpointed. You know, you become part of the crowd. Young referees come up, and everybody needs a jump start. And Pavlik Taylor, that's eight years ago already, mm-hmm. and people are still talking about that. And that, I was re-recognized. You know, I'm doing fine, and believe me, I'm, it, it's great. The assignments are fine, everything is fine, but you become part of the scene, and then all of a sudden you get a Pavlik Taylor, and you're rejuvenated. So uh, I hope that's clear. Initially, you want recognition for the right reasons, but in my case, once you've made it there, um, you really don't want to... It won't answer your question. It, it doesn't affect anyone. It doesn't affect Kenny or Tony Weeks or myself or Jay. We've talked about that. Uh, and uh, you just go on. Look, for example, somebody said, Steve, I saw something on Facebook with you. I didn't do it. I don't even know about Facebook. <laughs> Somebody put stuff, you know, my life is an open book. If you go on BoxRec, you learn everything. Yeah. So somebody, I guess, takes something. I called, and they said, well, you have to file this and file that. How do we know it's you and that you didn't do it? I said, I gave up, guys. Uh. I said, I've never done that. I don't know Twitter, Instagram. My daughter does, but right. I don't. But um, I don't I don't mean to be, be too wordy, but that's, that's the, the insight I'd like to give. Right. And it seems like you've developed a sort of some signature gestures in the ring. Some there you're there are times when I think fans can see your your character come through, not not in a way that necessarily influences a fight, but especially after I think, you know, fans will know you for the way it's sort of a tender moment where you've you've almost you've really kissed the neck of some fighters after yeah. they've lost and well, where does that come from? You know, they've given you know, you're in there refereeing guys is boxing without the pain. Mm-hmm. You are right there, and to see the effort they give, you know, you can't help you. In my case, I guess it's just an emotion that we've all gone through it, and thank God they're well. The first concern is we all got out of it, thankfully, without any major injury. And, uh, you know, uh, some people have criticized and made fun, this, that, and the other. It's just my display, or my displaying the fighter to show the, 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 how much I appreciated their effort. And let me tell you something. Um, I, it's, it's equal respect. Mm-hmm. I think that when you say, guys, what's the best part of the reputation? It's the respect given to me by fighters. I give respect, and they give it back out. I'll ref a major fight and not touch a fighter. What do you think about getting in with the the fearsome 50-year-old Hopkins with the reputation? I mean, when I had him with Carl Marat, Marat hit him going down. I said, oh, my God, if Bernard retaliates, I'm going to have a mess. (laughs) And he didn't. He held the shot, and he told me later that was out of respect to you, Steve. Wow. He told that to me. Well, and I Steve, said, I, yeah, I, went up, I went to him, I said, Bernard, thank you for not... Re-. You know, they were... The Marat camp was telling me at the, at the pre-fight how dirty Hopkins was going to be and this, that. And with six seconds, he hits on a break, Marat. I said, uh-oh. He was setting <laughs> me up. Steve, and I think Bernard you may have... Not- I think you may have landed more punch, more clean punches to Marat that night than Marat to Hopkins, though. How do you like that? Ten seconds to go, we tried to butt and cut him. I was so... I pushed this... What are you doing with ten seconds? You're beaten. Mm-hmm. You're not... You, there's no way you're winning this fight. Why try to open him up when he's going to have... You know, his future could be at stake, especially at that age. So, no you know... Uh, Things of that nature. I went over, I saw Bernard, not that evening, but at a dinner in Philly. I said, Bernard, I've been meaning to thank you. I said, when he hit you on the way down, had you retaliated, I could have had a real 
problem on my hands. He says, no, it was reactionary, and I don't think he covered for Murat. I said, well, whatever your reasoning, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, so, argue. The, arguably, your most your most high profile fight could have even been that Cotto Margarito rematch from 2011 at the Crazy Garden. Right. That's an iconic moment for you. It almost looked like when when you told Antonio he's had enough that that you almost wanted to see if he could keep going. And there's still people today on social media that that try to argue and say Margarito was coming on late. How tough of was that a decision for you with his eye at that point? Listen, you know what amazes me about both of you is your insight. You have just taken my exact thought. Antonio said to me, did you see his face in that double picture and ring? Like, oh, Steve, no. <laughs> I was overruled. And, and guess what? I was dressed down for trying to overrule. I pre- Guys, I pretended I didn't hear <laughs> the ophthalmologist. <laughs> the ophthalmologist was going to allow one more, but the chief physician, I wasn't privy to the pre-fight about the dangerous nature of his eye. And I really, he seemed to be coming on to me. He seemed to have a lot of fire, that Mexican heart, you know, the, the whole bit. It, just, it was just amazing. And if it were up to me, I would have allowed him to come out and just watched him. And as it turned out, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, guys. That was a wonderful fight to work. Uh, that was the last round he fought. Yeah, So that's, true. in hindsight, I said, Geez, I wish I could have given him another one. But when I got out, the commission, Madam Commissioner, says, "Hey, if the chief physician gives you the cut sign, it's cut. You're not the doc. You're the ref." I said, "Yes, ma'am," and that was that. But I, I'm amazed how you that you can read my body language and my expression because I was I wanted him to I wanted to give him one. Who knew? I wanted to give him one more round. You read it perfectly, but that was it. Well, I think it's because you wear your emotions on your sleeve in a good way, and that's where the compassion, that's where the respect and the love comes out, and I think we can appreciate that as fans. Well, it's my pleasure, guys, and uh, again, uh, it's been a great ride. Uh, It's been a nice new experience. I'm taking a mini page out of Brian's book. (laughs) Uh, I'm sitting with uh, two icons, uh, Marv Albert and Ray Leonard on uh, PBC on NBC, (laughs) and uh, it's fun. Uh, Marv says, Steve, I wish I could get you one more. And I said, all due respect, sir, uh, I'm your insurance policy. I'm there if you need me. And he says, look, boxing is controversy. We're going to need you. So my first two outings were fun, and I'm now scheduled uh, on the broadcast side of things, May 23 in Boston. So it's been a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm, it's great to expand horizons, but I'm still a referee at heart, and there's nothing like joining and being active. How about the how about the thrill of being in with Trinidad and Hopkins, the mm-hmm. first major event after, after 9/11? Yeah, it's incredible. The, the chills. I you know I had to pinch myself. I said, Steve, don't be overcome by this. You know, with the with survivors in one section and Don King presenting a fire apparatus in the center ring. So uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful ride, and I'm just blessed that uh, it's recognized by gentlemen like you and by the hall. I know I'll see your faces there. That'll be a lot of fun. Well, Steve, uh, we really can't thank you enough for, for coming on and talking about all this with us. Uh, it's been uh, just uh, an honor and a lot of fun. Steve, thanks so much. We really enjoyed God it. Bless, guys. We'll see you Take out there. Care. Thank you so much, Steve. Take care. Bye-bye. Brian, I want to just, you know, come across over there and give you a a big, you know, big sloppy kiss on the neck after that interview. (laughs) Uh, Steve Smoger, he's he's sort of an icon of of the sport without being a fighter. He he is an icon of the sport without being a fighter because of the great fights he's been a part of and, and the kind of character he is in the ring. And he's really a fan's referee. Showed you the, the love and respect he has for the game, and you can't ask for anything more than that. No doubt. Uh, well, there is a, a significant fight. Uh, Vladimir, this weekend, uh, Vladimir Klitschko is defending his, his legit uh, heavyweight title of the world against Bryant Jennings, a Philadelphia heavyweight uh, undefeated guy. Uh, it's, at, it's coming out of Madison Square Garden in New York on Saturday night on HBO. Um, 
Is there any way to get excited about a Klitschko fight? You know, this one's uh, pretty. It has pretty wrapping paper as opposed <laughs> as opposed to normal Klitschko fights in the past few years, which have you know been against opponents you never heard of taking place in faraway countries. Sometimes you're getting them on streams or or rare, you know. He's so, fighting sort of, pie, man. He's fighting pie. Yeah, sort of side cable networks. Now we're seeing him back on HBO, the second fight of his three fight deal, and we're seeing the pretty wrapping paper of Madison Square Garden, the historical place, against the unbeaten heavyweight in Jennings. Who you know, say what you will about him, he's done things the right way. He's sort of achieved every step up in the process you know although his last fight was sort of a, a sketchy there tough decision went over mike perez but he sort of made the proper leaps to get there to this point he's deserving but i can't really say you know that i'm excited about it because once again in the this era of heavyweights klitschko's just so far, far and above head and shoulders above it, it kind of clouds even how to properly rate him historically because the, the field that he's playing against is just it's just poor is the issue in this fight basically height, size, uh, the, 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 that, that sort of the, the, the way that, that Klitschko controls distance? There's, it's just so hard to imagine Jennings getting close enough to land a, a, a fight-changing punch. You would think that, but if you do look at the the raw stats here, uh, Klitschko six 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 seven, but Jennings is six three, you know, and he's muscular and really athletic. He actually has longer a longer mm-hmm. reach than Klitschko, which is underreported and almost unheard of for a guy Klitschko's right. size. But when you're not a big puncher and Jennings isn't, th- then Jennings, as athletic as he is, he but can box pretty good. But you know, he got into boxing late. He doesn't mm-hmm. have as raw and technical the amateur and Olympic background as Klitschko. So I, you know, he doesn't give you the feeling that he's going to outbox Klitschko, and not being a big puncher, he doesn't give you the feeling that he's going to knock him out. So that's where all the inroads for a Jennings victory outside of Klitschko getting old overnight make it really hard to believe. And we know Klitschko is not getting old overnight. But I'll give Jennings this one credit. I asked him, you know, what has to go right for you to win? And he was just out in front saying, I got to land that one big shot. You know, he knows that's the only way it's going to work. He's going after it. He's that Philly fighter. He's going to hang in there. But Rafe, can you even conjure up a way for him to hang around more than four, five, six rounds? I I mean, I think he has to leap in with something and, you know, just, you know, hit the jackpot. Uh, it's, uh, it's 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 tough to see in this fight, uh, you know, and that's sort of one of the things that 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 ends up being the most anticipated part of a of a Vladimir Klitschko fight is a is a cameo from his his you know washed up heavyweight nemesis Shannon the Cannon Briggs. Uh, in case people haven't uh, haven't been following this saga over the past like eight months or so, Briggs uh, is the actually the, the until Deontay Wilder won it won a title earlier this year was the last American heavyweight to hold a heavyweight title and but that was a long long was that 10 years ago yeah and he's also the last American to hold the Lanille crown even before that you know so yeah this is this is the last of so the Briggs last. Briggs fought Vitali Klitschko and and got beaten up very badly so he was injured during the fight he what he tore a rotator cuff his shoulder was done was or bicep yeah uh, and he took a bad 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 and then beating. he just got beat up and took a very bad beating over 12 rounds then he resurfaced in the last year uh as sort of a, a, a internet real life troll against vladimir klitschko trying to talk his way into a fight with wild stunts showing up in klitschko's gym uh you know calling him throwing shoes at him showing up at the restaurant in florida klitschko was eating at eating <laughs> Eating pasta off of his plate with the line, what you eat, I eat, champ. Uh, his whole let's go champ movement, let's go champ sombreros and ponchos. Nobody really knows what is going through his head or what he's doing. Uh, and you actually, Brian, talked to uh, Klitschko a little bit about, you know, what what the whole Briggs experience. Uh, yeah, and, I, had, yeah. I had to ask him about it because, you know, a lot of every situation had been so well lit. There had already been a cameraman there. It always right. seemed like it was part of like a reality show. So that was one thing I really did want to ask Klitschko was essentially, you know, what's your reaction to all this? I mean, even Briggs following him in the water that time when, when Klitschko was paddle boarding, Briggs mm-hmm. showed up and was out in the water chasing him. Are you in, you know, have you been in on it? What's your take on all of this? And Vlad gave me a very honest reaction. Well, um, we're, we're touching this topic because I I certainly think that Shannon Briggs need to be saved from Shannon Briggs. I, I think this guy is nuts. I really do because, you know, if we're not going to save him from him, he's going to put himself in trouble, in a, in a big trouble. Um, you know, I, I kind of was taking it amusing you know, watching Shannon Briggs, you know, freaking out, do his stuff. But then when he's following you outside of the of the gym and uh, he's, he's following you in the public places, and then the last occasion that was, while I was paddleboarding, he was going on a speedboat, chasing on a speedboat, 
speedboat and circling around and having his body filming it, uh, which he was always doing. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. This is not safe. It's dangerous what he was doing. And he definitely crossed the line. And I, I believe, I mean, thankfully I didn't hear anything from him uh, in, in, the, in the past uh, weeks. And I don't know what it, whatever he's possibly thinking or planning or whatever. I just want to aware him of, uh, of, the, of himself, of his behavior, and, and something that he's, he definitely can cross the line of the law, mm-hmm. basically. Because the last thing what he's doing, it's, it's not funny. This is not, this is not entertainment. This is not promotion. This is, this is dangerous. And uh, that makes uh, makes me feel just really, really um, uh, worried about Shannon Bridge because he's getting a little crazy and getting uh, definitely uh, crossing the line, getting over the edge with his uh, trying to promote himself or whatever he's want to do. Um, and right now he's not a topic even. I mean, I, I don't even know what he's talking about. He's not a topic of any any uh, conversation about possible fight for what? You know, I mean, excuse me. That's what Shannon Briggs is. So it sounds to me like maybe, and I've wondered in the in over the, the beginning of the year, like why Shannon Briggs stopped uh, torturing Vladimir Klitschko <laughs> from afar or from, you know, sort of near... Uh, and it sounds like maybe they've uh, they've made it clear that they don't appreciate it, and it's not, and they're not going to tolerate it, and they might take some sort of legal action uh, if he continues. Although well, we know that we've seen on Instagram, Shannon is in New York. Of course, he's from New York this week, uh, and he is, you know, he's been at press conferences. Uh, he's got some sort of rally planned for Thursday in Times Square. If anyone <laughs> wants to check it out, uh, and uh, I believe he's uh, hosting a party at some club on Friday night. So you know, he's what out are you there. promoting. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, I like that that Vlad sort of summed it up there saying, look, he's not even really on, on, on any of our plans for a fight. Although, you know, about four or five months ago before this Jennings fight was signed, Briggs was one of the names floating around. But obviously we found out that it didn't end up being serious. Right. Maybe that's why we hadn't heard from Briggs. But he did show up at the press conf- the final press conference this week. Was more, you know, laid back, did his let's go champ, but it was more of a comedic thing. You know, he's catching on of the, the comedic element to it. He's still shirtless with, and he's obscenely jacked for a good, and ripped for a guy his size. I mean, We've seen on Instagram the and pictures of him age, and Gamboa. He's in his 40s. Yeah, remember the him and Gamboa in, in his kitchen posing yeah. with their shirts up? <laughs> but I'd love to have been there that night to, to be on the fly on the wall there. But uh, and hear those conversations. But yeah, I don't know. I don't, the problem is the more he pushes the envelope, yeah, he's probably going to get arrested. But he might actually end up getting the fight if he pushes the envelope which, too far, which could be worse for him than uh, than than getting arrested. It's even worse for the fans because he doesn't. I mean, maybe you'd be excited to see what happened, but he doesn't deserve the fight. It's just it's a mess. Yeah. Well, then you know, if not Shannon Briggs, then who uh, is? There, I mean, when are we going to see a, a a heavyweight that that really feels like a guy who's who's worth watching and worth worth challenging of Vladimir Klitschko? Is it is it one of these guys who are sort of at the level of getting the next shot, a, a Tyson Fury or a Deontay Wilder, that level of guy? Or are we, are we waiting until uh, the British heavyweight Anthony Joshua sort of rises through the ranks to to, to, to give a shot? Yeah, Joshua's the guy on the radar, obviously along with Deontay Wilder. I think he's going to end up fighting Wilder. It's going to take some time politically, but I think it'll end up happening. The thing with Vlad is he's 39, still in tremendous shape. I don't know if he's going to go the distance and end up breaking the Joe Lewis record for defenses. He's a little bit far off, but he could do it if he if he stayed you know pretty active, you know three fights a year. But I just don't see him slowing down, mm-hmm. and he's going to have to be in there against a puncher, I think, to really have a chance to lose. And you know Joshua could be that guy, Wilder could be that guy, but everybody else that we could bring up. You know, the heavyweight division these days is just so porous. You either can box and you can't punch, or you can punch, but you're just so absurdly raw that you don't even have a chance to hang in there. Or you're none of those things, and you're Marius Walk, and you're and you're on PEDs, and you're just in there as like a walking, you know, Provodnikov for the heavyweight form. I, I don't know where this is going. It hasn't been fun. Maybe we've loved this Briggs sideshow so much because it's the most excitement it's, we've had in this division in a long fun. time. It's something fun. And that sort of gives me a, a, a sort of a, a way into this little pet cause of mine, which is the, the cruiserweight division. 
division, man. I mean, forget heavyweights. Like, they're actually fun, good, fluid fighters at cruiserweight, just 200 pounds. It's not like these are small men. You know, we love, we love light heavyweights with, with this great, they're, they're, you know, we talk about guys like Better Beave and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, Adonis Stevenson. We don't necessarily love them, uh, guys like Adonis Stevenson and now, unfortunately, Sergey Kovalev for some of their outside of the ring stuff. But, uh, oh, you know, it, so, but anyway, as a division, we like light heavyweights. People pay attention to, to the heavyweight division. But in the middle, cruiserweight, man, there's some exciting guys there. There's, I mean, and different styles, interesting fighters. They all come from sort of parts unknown to America. I mean, the, <laughs> South America, you know, uh, South America, South Africa, you know, Thabisu Mchunu fought on a couple of those NBC sports cards. He's not that moving guy, that, that guy's not moving. He's, he's kind of cool. He's very slick and weird. I love really short, heavy fighters, but he's cut too. He's got a fight coming up next month. The, 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 the or two weeks ago, the fight, the card in Russia with Denis Lebedev when he, when he, winning the decision over that guy Kalenga from the Congo. There's Oleksandr Usyk, Vasil Lemochenko's Olympic teammate from the Ukraine who wears the amazing Ukrainian like front mohawk called a kokel, <laughs> which is a, a patriotic haircut who's a it huge star out there. I mean, he's, there's Marco Huck and Ola Afolabi, those guys who've been around for a little while. There's that guy with, with the crazy knockout power, Dmitry Kudrashov, or whatever they call him. I mean, there's some guys who are kind of fun in this division, and, and it may not show up on American TV, but for the hardcores out there, if you haven't already looked them up, it, this is kind of a fun division to watch. Yeah, the problem is it's 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 hard to find. You got to go above and above and above and beyond <laughs> out of your way to find the internet stream. A lot of these fights, you're right. A lot of really fun fighters. It's just almost like arguably the least marketable division stateside, and it makes it really hard. And the thing about heavyweights, Rafe, is it doesn't. It takes almost nothing to pull people back in. I mean, we saw a way overshaped Chris Ariola fight the, an even worse overshaped Curtis Harper in March in in a fight that was sloppier than any of uh, Eric Butterbean Esch's MMA. May fights and it was just like this mess and it was suddenly like a borderline fight of the right. year candidate and everybody's hey, talking a fun about fight, it man these guys you know really yeah. laid it all out there so yes that is that's a statement of how bad things are but i don't think it's enough for people to to, to shift over to cruiserweight i know there's a lot of hardcore fans on, on on twitter who love the cruiserweight division i've seen some great fights but it's just so out of sight out of mind it, it's going to be hard all right, man. Well, the, the the suspense is getting a little too great for me to to bear. I, I have to ask you for this for your prediction on this fight, uh, Vladimir Klitschko and Brian Jennings at MSG on Saturday night. Who is going to walk out of that ring as the heavyweight champion of the world? It's going to be our. It's going to be your guy Vlad. He's going <gasps> to hold the. He's going to bring the belt with him on the way out. I, I think it's going to be He's like a say bye bye to Brian Jennings. Bye bye Brian Jennings. A, a guy with a lot of heart. A, a great interview by the way. If you ever got mm -hmm. that chance, but uh, I can't see him getting through six without without getting stopped. I think he's going to go out in a shield, but I think he's going to get stopped. Yeah, I, I probably as no surprise to to most boxing fans, I agree. I think Klitschko wins this fight by stoppage. Uh, he, I, I just don't see any way that 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 Jennings reaches his chin, even with you know his long reach and his athleticism. I don't think it's enough. Uh, Klitschko is going to keep him on the end of that jab, and and occasionally he's going to drop down the 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 right the the straight right. And man, that thing comes like a shotgun. I mean, it is a it is a it is a heck of a punch uh, for all the things that are boring about Klitschko's style, the clinching, the push. Pushing the things that, that drive a lot of fans crazy, uh, he uh, he has that one great weapon, and he knows how to use it, and he knows how to how to keep himself uh, can protect his vulnerabilities. Other than that, absolutely, move the chains, Vlad. Keep it going. Let's go, champ. Let's go, champ. You know, he may, who, who knows, maybe Shannon will surprise us and be the highlight of the night. Jump into the ring. Fan man that thing. Uh, well, unless something crazy happens from Shannon Briggs, uh, we, we think it's a pretty easy fight to predict. Uh, that's going to wrap us up for this week. Brian, thanks a lot for doing this with me. Everyone who's listening, thank you. We want to thank, uh, shoot, man, we got Steve so many Smoger, people. Thanks, oh, Steve Smoger, uh, just a, a legend, and we had a great time talking to him. Uh, we want to thank all the listeners. We want to thank Joe Fuentes and David Jacoby, the producers of the Grandland Network, and we want to invite everybody to please... Uh, uh, go into the iTunes store, uh, the Apple store on iTunes, uh, and rate us, uh, subscribe, subscribe yeah, write to a nice everything message on Grantland. You know? you know, and, and you know, girls used to present, diss me. Yeah. Now they write letters because they miss me. Put a nice review in there. Let's do you that. Know, put a little, put a little extra ch ch kiss on Brian's neck for this one. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter, B Campbell ESPN at Rafe Bugs for for my man Rafe. And uh, thanks for joining us, Mayweather Pacquiao next week. Let's get it. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, 
subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.